Hospitality Meets is brought to you by Rotacloud, the staff scheduling app for hospitality teams. Rotacloud lets you create and share rotas, record attendance, and manage your team's annual leave, all in less time than it takes to make a brew. It can also make life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotas, request holiday, and even pick up extra shifts, all through the Rotacloud mobile app. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Stephen Lowy, CEO of AES and the Residence Apartments. Coming up on today's show, Stephen tells us how he likes to spend his time... Wow, karaoke parties on a Saturday night in the bar. Phil attempts to reignite an 80s novelty classic... A little bit of this and a little bit of that. And Stephen highlights that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And I got punched in the face and uh, ended up with a black eye. All that and so much more as we chat through Stephen's wonderful career so far. Stephen wears many different hats and as a result there were wonderful lessons throughout our chat. I was so appreciative that he gave up his time. Once again, that final note, if you can take time to subscribe to the show and leave us a review, it really helps more than you know. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to Stephen Lowy. Hello, how are you doing, Phil? Thank you for inviting me on this. You're very, very welcome. I feel like I don't know why it's taken me this long to reach out to you to get you on the show, to be honest. Oh, well, I'm not taking it personally, but no, it's it's very (laughs) nice to be on. Um, And uh, I I suppose I probably have an unorthodox hospitality career and, and job at the moment, so it doesn't always crop up on hospitality radars. No, but I'd, I'd like that. I like, uh, because this has been uh, one of the joys, I think, for me of doing this show is the there is really no right or wrong way to build your career. And probably when you start out, you've got no idea really where you're going to end up. So to to kind of read about your background a little bit and see that you have, and I mean this in the, the nicest possible way, a little bit of this and a little bit of that through your career, that just makes a, a more rich story. I would suggest. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah. I mean, um, when I studied hospitality at university, uh, my focus was more food, uh, and I was really passionate about restaurants. And I'd worked in restaurants pre pre university, and, and that was my route. And then, you know, by the time I came back from backpacking, I was running a five hundred bedded hostel, backpackers hostel, and so it was totally different. But yeah, I, I think it's an amazing industry. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why we're here today. Yes. But um, I mean, you kind of you got stuck into your story a little bit there. We'll come back to that uh, particular moment in time in a second. But actually, it's probably prudent that we tell the world who you are and what it is that you actually do. Obviously, you're Stephen Lowy, but what it, what is it that you do for those who don't know? Yeah. So um, my my main main role is I'm CEO of uh, AES and the residence apartments. Uh, the residence apartments are. Uh, luxury service departments in London. Uh, we have um, 75 apartments under that brand. And AES is a study abroad provider and a housing provider to the American university market. So uh, we have 250 plus uh, student flats in London, but also do internships, academics. So we have faculty under our payroll. We have a tour operator division and a study center uh, in central London. And we look after about four and a half thousand students a year. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I mean, uh, before you got there, there's obviously a bit of a story to fill in to, as to how you, you got there. So take us all the way back. You mentioned that you went to, to university and a bit of travel. But how did you kind of choose hospitality, as it were, in the, in the first instance? Yeah, I mean, I think at school I struggled a bit and um, sport was my love, uh, as was food. But I didn't really have many food opportunities there. And it became apparent as I was doing my A-levels and I was at a very academic school, I was really struggling. I found it really, really hard to remember stuff in exams. And um, my family have been in hospitality uh, for decades, uh, even to my uh, late grandma who came on the last kinder train from Vienna and set up as a single mother uh, a cafe on the Finchley Road in North London. Right. It would have been in my blood. My mum's side are Irish farmers, and so that's potentially where the food side comes from a bit as well. And one bit that I enjoyed of A-levels was in geography, there was a whole section on tourism, and I, I really was really interested in that. So uh, Salford had a, a good degree in hospitality and tourism management, which combined both and had the opportunity to focus on the hospitality side in, in terms of chefing. And um, I loved it. I took a year out before university and worked and actually worked in a restaurant uh, in Chantry Lane, started off as a waiter and became assistant manager within about eight weeks. And I guess that gave me some confidence back because after the A-levels, I really had none. Yeah. And then, you know, having the responsibility for a central London restaurant, you know, most of the week was, was kind of amazing as an 18, 19 year old. So I went to university more confident and then the first week I was there I found out I was dyslexic they they asked if I ever had any learning difficulties and I said I went to a very academic school and I was very good with projects and presentations but I really found it hard with exams and they're like oh have you ever been asked about being dyslexic and my school didn't really accept that right I, I, to be honest I didn't even really know what dyslexia was yeah Just sure 2000 and yes yeah, sat with a you know, an advisor on it. And they're like, you're dys dyslexic. And I was like, ah, okay. I said, what does that mean? And they said, well, you know, you can get more time in an exam. I went, I don't have the attention span for a long exam. But it made me understand that I wasn't thick and that academically, if I learned in a different way to everyone else, I could remember things and, and engage more. And therefore then just really enjoyed learning at university of which I was sort of, fearful of for the previous five years yeah was that then is there something in this as well i mean just even though you've had a i suppose a, a do they call it a diagnosis at, the, at this yes, point yeah. The, yeah so but equally you've gone into something that feeds your passion a little bit as well so actually the learning experience comes a little bit more naturally anyway because you're just more engaged with the the subject that you're you're trying to learn yeah, I think it was a bit of both. I mean, manual bookkeeping on paper, which is what I did, is, is not exciting. It still is not exciting. Yeah. But I just listened and learned in a different way. You know, and I think I still struggle now with reading long books that don't, if, I, if, if, I, if I'm not engaged with it in the first 10 or 20 pages, I find it really hard to like push myself through. Yeah. And that's partly attention span, but it was also with dyslexia. I feel it goes in, it doesn't stick. And I think when I'm passionate about stuff, you're right, it does stick better. But I think I think self-confidence sometimes, not arrogance, but self-confidence that, you know, you can do things is is, is great. And I, the, the, I, you know, I, I didn't know I was dyslexic when I was running the restaurant, but I, I could, you know, and 
I worked out how to do double covers on a Thursday and Friday lunchtime, which the chefs hated, but the owners loved. Of course. Um, and yeah, I think it, it just helped. And I think Salford, were, uh, which is why I'm still very engaged with them, were, were great. And they really, really looked after me. Yeah. Now, uh, didn't something happen at Salford Uni? Uh, or, uh... Uh, we did, yeah. So um, <laughs> what Salford is still to this day is a very good vocational university and great engagement with industry. So at the time, they had a head chef who I'm still actually connected with and he's retired, but I still see him when I'm in Manchester, Patrick Trodden. He had a sort of outside catering division connected to the university where we would do outside catering. So I did various things and served Coronation Street uh, actors who I had no idea because obviously coming from London, I watched EastEnders. But I was selected by the university to cook for Prince Charles at a vocational training event that they held on what is now Media City. It was just loads of big marquees. And it was, you know, maintenance and engineering and all these different vocations. And, and catering was one of them. And I got to cook in the VIP area with Brian Turner. Uh, and nice. um, although I was on the vegetable section, I was very proud. Uh, the only unfortunate thing was I was captain of the football team and we played away in Wrexham at Newey. Uh, and the match got a little aggressive uh, and I got punched in the face and uh, ended up with a black eye. Which our did you uh, deserve it? Uh, it depends. <laughs> My Welsh isn't very good, but um, anyway, the uh, the the way my friends would say I probably did. But um, the lady who was doing all the front of house stuff actually put makeup underneath my eyes. So if I was to meet or shake hands with Prince Charles, which I had to, I didn't look like such a thug. Right. But yes, anyway, that was that story. But um, yeah, it was quite 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 an amazing morning prepping all that food. Yeah, and also for I suppose something as high profile as uh, as that, you'd probably talk about this a lot with um, a lot of people that come on the show. You don't realise what these moments are teaching you in the moment half the time. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I think what was very helpful with with Salford was that they had a number of faculty that were either recent or uh, current in industry. And I think that made it so much more relevant with the experiences that you were getting and also explaining to us how lucky we were. Yeah. Um, I think not, it's becoming experiential learning, which is what I do in my day job now, is, is more known. But I think then hospitality was one of the few degrees where you really had live, live experience. And I, and I think the training kitchen we had every week that we were cooking and serving people, but these special events, I think, were, were magic and leave a, a long-lasting uh, impact on your career. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So um, from there, what happened next? So um, I decided I wanted to go backpacking and worked summer in London and then set out on a journey where I bought round-the-world ticket with my first salary in the summer and then saved up living at my mum's for about four or £5,000 and went... Um, around the world. So I traveled from uh, Hanoi to Singapore by local buses, never spending more than a dollar or $2 a night on accommodation. Right. And, um, finished in Singapore for my birthday, where my parents kindly had bought me a night at the Raffles uh, Hotel as my birthday present, which was the first hot shower I'd had in <laughs> a long time. And, that would certainly uh, not be one or two pounds a night. That would have been more than, yeah. 
And what was funny is they didn't actually let us in because we came off this coach that we'd been on for 14 hours with a backpack, a vest and flip-flops and everything else, like, like a movie. And uh, they're like, oh, no, no, no. Hostels are this way. And I went, oh, no, Stephen Lowy. And they're like, oh, we're so sorry. And then they came up with a cake and happy birthday and Singapore sling and everything. It was lovely. And then from there, I went to Australia where I lived and worked for about four months. Worked in an Italian restaurant there, which was uh, really interesting underneath Sydney Harbour Bridge. Travelled around Australia on my own on the local buses and then did New Zealand, the South Pacific, across America. And then I actually went back to Australia uh, and then realised I was too far from home and, and came back. Uh, so, wow. yeah, almost a year anniversary of me leaving. Yeah, but what a, oh God, what an amazing experience that must have been. And you, you went on your own or were you with a group of people or was it just... I went, a... I went with one guy. Uh, right. we, we parted ways in Australia and then another friend came out for a bit of it. I travelled Australia on my own, which was, which was really interesting. It was a, a really good challenge of can you do stuff on... Not can you do stuff on your own, because I was organising everything, to be honest. But it was more, yeah. do you feel comfortable on your own? And I think in life even particularly in a management role, it can be quite lonely, but I actually, I can deal with it. And I think actually that, uh, it was about three and a half weeks. It was really helpful for that. I, I can totally relate. I, the thing that I found, I, I did a, a, a six month stint of traveling around Australia and I was, I, I went out with my fiance and we split up about three days in. Wow. So then, then I was, I had this moment, this sliding doors moment where you, you say, okay, do I go home? tail between the legs and and just accept that this wasn't the right time to do this or do we just make the most of this and thankfully I chose the latter but the thing for me was is that I always found in Australia that you might be traveling on your own but you're never really on your own especially if you're using hostels and things like that it's so easy to connect with people and and just get a little friendship network um quick quickly if you need it slash want to but equally as you say to have the the moments of I suppose solitude and uh, can also be really uh, uplifting. And is, uh, yeah. well, as I was saying, I, I found it hard to read books, but um, I bumped into some Americans on a boat, the Fraser Island boat, uh, um, Early Beach, and everything else. When you go on the Great Barrier Reef, and I was just lucky. It was I was twenty two or twenty three at the time, so it was slightly older backpackers. And it was only a, a, it was the ones who did the gap year pre uni as opposed to the ones who took it after uni um yeah. and anyway just chatting to these americans i would talk about the chefing and everything else and that i've worked, been working in, in sydney and they're like oh have you ever read a book called kitchen confidential and i was like no what's that and they said oh it's a, it's a, a new york chef called anthony bourdain so anyway they gave me their book and i read it page to page and i was like this guy's amazing and you know prime didn't exist netflix didn't exist and everything else and then as I got a bit older, I started seeing this guy on, on Amazon Prime. I was like, oh. And then I watched his first epi- uh, series. And he must have been a month behind me because he went to a lot of the places I went to in Cambodia and Vietnam and so forth. Um, obviously not backpacking, but going to some of the places, that, the street food places and everything else. I was like, wow. This, and it was really grainy, non-well-produced footage. Yeah. And sort of... I would say falling in love with him, but he really became a hero. I love, I love stories. I love storytellers. And I felt that he combined food and travel and people in such a beautiful way where it wasn't cheesy and it wasn't a cooking show. It was, it was more. And yeah. uh, 
I've even got a food group with some mates that we set up through COVID called In Memory of Bourdain, where we go and eat every three or four months. Um, uh, I, I did some cooking classes for them through COVID, how to make fresh bernays and a few other things that we cooked all together. Because he talked about the joy of food and the joy of people, and I, and I, and I really trust that. And that was a, a moment that I was on my own. If I was not on my own, I wouldn't have read that book. Right. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. God, sliding doors moment again. Yes. It was, yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 a super inspirational human being, and absolutely taken too soon uh, in such yeah. a, a, a tragic way uh, as well. But uh, in any case, yeah. So travel ticked, I suppose. You've ticked that box. You, the the lure to come back home was was there from your your second stint in Australia. But uh, so what happened from then? Yeah, so I got the opportunity to set up a, a hostel in London with an Australian brand uh, called Wake Up. Uh, they were based in Sydney Central, uh, now grown across Australia, uh, in a building near Paddington Station. Uh, there was short term left on the lease and they wanted, the, the owners wanted to try something different uh, and slightly connected to my dad. And so, yeah, I sort of started that whilst I was in Australia, meeting you know, backpacker agents bringing Aussies to, to London, never really done it before. Got back in and, you know, I landed on a Sunday and on a Monday, went into the the building and we started doing it and we launched it two two weeks later. Right. Um, and it was amazing, you know, first time I learned about SEO and digital marketing. Obviously, there wasn't really social media, but there was TripAdvisor, understanding uh, a volume-based business rather than, uh, you know, I, I worked at Chez Girard, the restaurant, um, in my gap year and that wasn't you know it was it was sort of mid-range dining I think we call it now it wasn't super high-end but it wasn't like huge volumes and obviously 500 beds to fill every night was was a challenge um, yield management so we started flex pricing or very manually web design and, and, and loads of stuff very quickly when I left for traveling you searched on Yahoo when I came back no one searched on Yahoo they searched on Google and yeah I had to get learn that and and I realized very very quickly probably within the first month that digital marketing was going to transform hotels and that having a good online presence no matter what style of accommodation you had having dynamic pricing like the airlines were doing was just essential and that was 2004 2005 and um it was yeah really exciting yeah what I'm I, I suppose I'm not struggling to get straight in my head is that you you know you've gone traveling pretty green and you've come back and you're running a hostel not just yeah. running it kind of not not building it as such but certainly involved in that process in terms of getting it fit for purpose and ready to go yeah i mean there was people on the ground here and um stewie who i still work with today uh, i met in australia and, and his visa had run out and he had to come back to the uk and He'd been working in the hostels in Australia for years and years. And so from an operations perspective, he was doing that. And, and I had to work out how to fill it up. And, you know, I loved marketing when I did my hospitality degree, but this was this is the real stuff. This was, yeah. you know, and, you know, it's not like today where you can learn anything online. It just clicked. It was a very cool brand to work with. It was very cheeky. The slogan was wake up with someone new because in a dorm you did. We handed out free condoms. <laughs> You know, uh, we push the boundaries, which in Australia, as you know, from being there is easy. In the UK, yeah. it's harder, you know, but we were featured in Time Out, even got interviewed for the Lady magazine because we created 
female-only dorms with posters of David Beckham and hair straighteners and curlers and everything else with ensuite bathrooms. So ladies traveling on their own felt more comfortable. And it was an idea we had in, locally in London because we had a lot of females traveling and created this. And when you've got a cool brand, there's so much you can do with it. And I also realized the power of brand, not necessarily from a big brand perspective, but having a brand that you can make evolve and and have a have a life and a personality and mm. i felt at the time that a lot of brands were there they've been there so long they hadn't developed and, and just a bit boring and, and this wasn't i mean we had it's so much fun with that brand it was, it was brilliant yeah absolutely so um you opened you were i suppose learning as you go by the sounds of it at this point in time not really with somebody uh, above you telling you what to do as it were or, or giving you guidance was it was it kind of literally I'm, I have to roll my sleeves up and just get my head around this yeah well my dad's group were managing uh my dad's hotel company was sort of managing the the building but we had to have our own bubble because it was so different to a hotel the marketing was different what we did was different the happy hours the pound fifty pints as it was at the time. You know, it was just different. And so we've built a bit of a, probably like Mourinho used to do with Chelsea, and you build a cocoon where you don't really listen to what other people are doing. Uh, and we took advice where we needed. But what was great about youth and student travel was that there's an amazing community that's still alive today of people who, who want to bring young people to London or, or the UK. And actually, you're part of a, you became very quickly part of an ecosystem, which was great fun. And so that helped a lot. And I learned a lot from Stewie from, from the operational point of view. And there was people in reservations. And I think, um, and I've continued to do it through my careers, is love of learning and, and want people who love to learn and, and want to improve themselves. And I think we did that. I think that the, you know, booking, it was bookings.org and active hotels at the time. And even in that period, all of our bookings came through fax, you know, and so oh, yeah. everything was changing so quick. And, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to willing to work, you know, many hours of the day to, to keep everything moving, but also learn. What happened in 2005 was three momentous occasions, maybe four, four. Start with the most important, which I've learned the hard ways I met my wife. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't always put that first and, and I got in trouble for that number two I was in Istanbul in 2005 watching Liverpool win the Champions League which was a very very special evening as you can imagine yeah but then there was two that rocked really hospitality one they announced the Olympics and two was the underground bombs uh, right yeah I mean they were more or less back yeah. to back day after yes. each other weren't they yeah yeah and I was actually in a meeting with loads of other hostel managers in our hostel in London when the bombs went Right. And it was, um, you know, London just, everyone left, apart from in the hostel. Uh, and actually, there was a lot of people like, no, we're staying here, we're going to help rebuild London sort of thing. And, you know, we were close to Paddington Station, so we had a bit of a triage thing going on. We had 450 out of the 500 beds full. So we had parents phoning up. Mobiles weren't big then. And we had a big chalkboard with everyone's names on, people who'd called and like crossing them off and touch with no one, you know, no one got hurt. Unfortunately, one of our accountants was on one of the trains, but he, he, he was dusty, but, but okay. I think that transformed uh, London in many ways, I think the security wise, but also in terms of hotels. And, you know, there were hotels that were famous then that are no longer around uh, because it was so bad for so long. What I realized very quickly was youth travel, so those under 35, 
were more resilient in terms of their travel patterns than the luxury or what I call the traditional tourist, as it was at the time, package holiday traveler, mm. because they had time. And if they couldn't do, if you're there in a city for two weeks, three weeks, living in a hostel, if you couldn't see the museum that day, you could see it tomorrow, you know, and it was about the people as much as the city. And so that whole year gave me a, a lot of ideas for what I did next with, with the hotels and that creating brands that were connected with youth were really important, both from an employment perspective, but also from a business perspective of getting customers. Yeah, well, well a nice segue then in terms of uh, what happened next. How did how did things unfold from from there? Yeah, so we we had a bit of a dip. We went from about ninety five percent occupancy to about seventy, and then it slowly went back up again. And you may remember there was a big Live Eight concert, I think it was called in mm. Hyde Park, and we were so full. I mean, it was crazy. And then we started getting approached by three star unbranded hotels who wanted us to overbook into them. And we started doing that. And then I realized that there weren't really many brands catering for that mid range. And also, again, going back to the boring thing, they're a bit boring. So I had an opportunity again within the group to convert one of the hotels that was a traditional Bayswater tourist class hotel, which were, there were many, many, very low rate, high occupancy uh, yeah. hotels. I like the terminology tourism class. Yeah. That, that can co- cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> but it was, it was, if you looked at the brochures back in the day, you know, all the German holiday brochures, that's, it was known as a tourist class hotel, which, as, as I said, it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. Five-star hospitality means having the right people in the right place at the right time. And that's exactly where RotorCloud can help. RotorCloud is the online platform that makes planning rotors, recording attendance, and managing annual leave easy. Its simple drag-and-drop interface lets you create and share rotors with your team in minutes. While our built-in budgeting tools mean you'll know exactly how much you're spending on staffing before sending the rotor out. RotorCloud also makes life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotors, request time off, and pick up extra shifts, all through the RotorCloud mobile app. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. And yeah, uh, embarked on the journey of creating our own brand uh, and eventually came up after having 100 names with a small branding company called The Youth Conspiracy. We had sat in a room with 100 names in 10 different types of names from traditional and functional to what we call cheese ice cream, the sort of Heston Blumenthal slightly out there, uh, and came up with the name Umi. Uh, and we came up with the name Umi because the letters interlinked and I wanted a hotel that connected the world, that anyone from anywhere felt comfortable. What we didn't know was when we Googled it, Umi means ocean in Japanese. And obviously the oceans connect the world. And so I was like, oh, this is perfect. Yeah, accidental <laughs> so, genius. Yeah. So that was 2006, and we launched UMI in May 2007. Uh, and yeah, tripled the average room rate. We ended up with 45% of our business direct. We grew the brand to Brighton and then Moscow. Whole different story. That's a different podcast. Probably your, your <laughs> after hours version. Uh, through a franchise agreement, we built our own booking engine and we did a lot of amazing things. We had a, a great bunch of people 
I did a lot of work with hotel schools and, and, and other universities to give internship placements. So at one point between London and Brighton, I think 35 or 40% of all of our team were students doing internships from all over the world, paid internships from all over the world. The furthest we had was the student who came and did marketing from New Zealand, which was, which was amazing. And we were just innovative. We changed our website every six months. We, we just did really cool things, really good events for, the, for customers. And, and people were turning up to a tourist class hotel in Bayswater and going, wow, karaoke parties on a Saturday night in the bar. You know, it was just different. Yeah. And probably if I wasn't so operational, maybe, maybe that brand would still be going and, and we'd have taken on investment and grown it in a different way or, or I understood growth, but I was just happy doing cool fun things and you know as long as the team were happy and customers were happy we got on with it and um yeah it was it was uh it was great you know we did breakfast from 6 a.m till midday in london and we did a coffee shop style breakfast so you got we did latte art um we did it was all you know green uh, rainforest approved coffee we did a lot of stuff that people are now implementing now um including building our own booking engine which was very novel then and it worked really well but it was um yeah very fun and, and a lot of uh, a lot of the interns who worked for me i'm still in touch with whether they're from colombia or holland or i went to a liverpool match actually with one of the interns from the netherlands we went to bear munich liverpool at anfield uh which was which was pretty amazing so yeah that was an amazing amazing period of time yeah, it sounds like you 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 were kind of pushing boundaries a little bit, really, and 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 I love the analogy to Mourinho there about you know cocooning yourself and not listening to the noise outside. You just focus on yourself, really, and what's important to you. But at, at the same time, you you know it, it's it was almost like a a little I don't know playground, really, to try stuff and and see if the market will like it. Yeah, and I think. We didn't have a lot of money, so we couldn't have we couldn't waste a lot of money, you know. Right. And so, I felt that the combined power of all the people there, and if they can engage with with us, with me, and 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 the other management team, we'd get ideas. And if we can implement the ideas, as long as they didn't cost a fortune, we could see if they work, as you said. And I think sometimes in hospitality, people are, are too magpie-like. I want a nap for my hotel. Why? You've got a small independent hotel. You don't need an app. But I need one. Why? Well, because my competitor has one. But that's not the reason to do it. We were very conscious of that. One of the interesting things was, as we ended up getting so busy in Bayswater, we were we were going to book out. But then I realised actually we didn't want to book out because they no longer became our customer. So I was like, well, why don't we? Because I knew how the travel trade worked, and that a lot of people got overbooked and busy weekends, particularly the first weekend in December which is a big holiday in Italy and Spain, and you'd have low rates and all the agents used to use up their allocation and then you end up overbooked. So I, that weekend, we kept it spare and we said, oh, £200 a night was our, was our rate. So we ended up getting the overbookings. We ended up converting these people into Uni guests. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Then I tried to organise a local hoteliers association drinks and no one turned up. Because <laughs> 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 again, they were like, well, you know, they couldn't necessarily copy us because every time they would look, we were changing. But I, I, I also learned a lot from the big brands, some of the cool stuff they did, some of the, the not so cool stuff. And I think I learned many at the university to be inquisitive. And I think that's a really, you see like the really cool five-star hotels in London, you see a lot of them are tweaking the menus and tweaking things now because they're inquisitive 
you know, people say, you know, copying is flattering, and it is, but also it's copying or getting ideas from other brands where you really feel that it fits into your market and your thing, not just because they've got it. Mm. And uh, yeah, we did we did pretty well with it. And I think, you know, stuff like STR and what's not wasn't really around for three-star hotels then, but you could tell because you could tell on booking.com what people's rates were like. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So where, where does this take us to? What kind of yearage are we at now? So we, we launched in 2007. Uh, by the time it got to 2012, the marketing department for UMI became what is now known as UMI Digital. Uh, and we had, I had the same ethos with that. I'd spun it out as a separate business and sort of stepped back from management of the hotels and focus on management of the brand. And then Umi Digital really started, started to grow. We had the same ethos with young people. And it got to about 2015. And unfortunately, the hotels got sold in London and Brighton. And the one in Moscow was when politically things started to change quite a lot. And the owners there were like, we need, they were British and they're like, we need to cut back. And that hotel was like 10 minute walk from Red Square which is not the ideal place to be right. if politics is changing. So the hotels became no more. So really put the effort into Umi Digital. And around that time, we hired an intern called Harry from the University of Bath. Uh, and as part, what's great is he's now the managing director of Umi Digital today. Uh, right. And uh, doing an amazing job running it. And we work from our heritage in sort of more budgety hotels now working with some amazing five-star hotels in London and around the world doing websites and digital marketing and tech uh, for them and pro- pro- programmatic AdWords. So it got to about 2017 where um, I'd be doing a bit of work for AES for Anglo and had come up with the idea for the residents. And again, there was a company with my dad, the board approached me and said, look, you've got all the skills, you understand education because you've been working with all these universities doing internships, would you like to come on and try and grow AES? And I said no, because I had some consultancy roles and I was bouncing around a bit. But I said, well, actually, if I could grow the residence, then I'd be interested. And eventually they said yes. And I eventually I said yes. It was a <laughs> protracted process. And yeah, um, it's five and a half years now that I've been CEO of, of AES and, and, and the residence. And was fortunate enough to work with some people who'd worked with me in the hotels who were at AES, but also bring back some people who I'd worked with in the past at UMI hotels who'd gone and done different things to sort of get get the team back together again. And, and it's gone it's gone great guns. Get the band back. That's yeah, quite, yeah, yeah. Like, I love that because uh, as well. I mean, that's a massive part of anybody's journey, isn't it? Is the people you meet along the way. And when you feel a connection to somebody and you, maybe there's some unfinished business there that, you know, then when that business opportunity comes up and you can just see it, that they, they would be the ideal fit for this. It's just wonderful when all of that kind of comes full circle. Yeah, and I think with, 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 with hospitality, with people, you know, not every, again, go back to Mourinho and, and Klopp. I wrote an article on LinkedIn years ago about the Klopp effect on Liverpool. And I just finished recovering from watching Liverpool Dortmund where we won 4-3 to qualify for their... Another classic. classic. I've done all right with the games. And also had a lot of connections still in Manchester. And and Mourinho was in Manchester. And I said, for the right player, Mourinho is like the best manager. Love to be hated, in this cocoon and everything else. And I feel I'm probably, because I think 
Klopp gives it. He does create a cocoon, but in a in a more probably lovable way. Yeah. The effect that he had on the city of Liverpool was quite remarkable. And you know, the fact you'd go into a pub next to Anfield and get Bitburger on tap was just you know he was that he he matched the brand. And I yeah. think that's what happens in the hospitality, and that's why often teams will move around, like management teams move around at football clubs. And that's why I think they're so similar because. It's about that personal connection and that group of people's connection with the brand or the ethos of the business or, you know, whether it's a family business or a brand. And I think, you know, there's a lot of similarities because of the people connections and the fact that you've got lots of different teams with different functions requiring different skills that need to try and all merge together in 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 a brilliant way. Yeah, and, and no one thing is is more important than the other things that it, it coexist with in, in that process as well. No. I always he's responsible for me for one of the greatest leadership quotes of all time, which is quite simply, we have to turn the doubters into believers. Yeah. And that was right at the beginning of everything. And yeah. that to me set the stall out. And this is we'll, we'll we'll continue with the football theme because we're both football fans, but equally there is a lot of, as you say, crossover, and therefore there's a lot of leadership lessons we can learn from from elite capable people, because yes. it, you know it, effectively he's taken on an ongoing business that has one hell of a history behind it. So, but and for whatever reason, it's just kind of lost its way a little bit in the run up to him taking over. And all of a sudden he takes over and, and first and foremost, our priority is to get everybody on board yeah. to, to, you know, that this is the objective and we want you to come with us. We don't want you to, to feel like you're, you're not part of this because you absolutely are. And I think that sort of, because with my career, since I came back from traveling, I was always going into, and I'm not claiming to be hacking club, but when some, some people say, oh, you're an entrepreneur and everything else, I said, well, I don't know, but I like people and I like managing situations. And, and really, even though it's with brands, I've gone into existing businesses or or brands um, and, and tweak them and or change them. And I, I really enjoy, I mean, I don't, I didn't enjoy COVID and haven't enjoyed the inflation and everything else. I know it's jumping ahead a bit, but actually when you look at Jurgen Klopp, it was understanding the brand, tweaking it, you know, and, and, Maybe changing the methods and the ethos and, and management practices within within the business, which which ultimately football clubs are. And you know, AES has been going fifty years now, which you know it's amazing that my dad set it up and it's been going. And you know, I was given fairly full reign to to tweak things with respect to the fact that you know a lot of our partners are U.S. institutions that don't like massive change, but we have done. And I think over the last five and a half years, we've really improved as a business and. You know, there's a lot more togetherness. There's a lot more thinking about stuff further ahead, planning, you know, um, and we've grown, uh, which I think, I guess, is the equivalent of, of rising up the table a bit in terms of in a football team. And I, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't beat my chest at the end of a week and, and roar. Not yet. Um, <laughs> but um, I, do, I do love the, the, the teamwork and, when when we saw our difficult situations and succeed, I think just a great team feeling of when I used to play football and other sports, it was like, you know, that winning feeling. Yeah. It's a very it's a special place to be a, a business which is firing on all cylinders with everybody in it feeling yeah. like they belong and it's it's part of them as well. And that 
they want to give the best version of themselves when they come in to do a, a, a day's work. Yes, yeah. And I think I, I listened to a high-performance podcast with Gordon Ramsay and... I still haven't listened to that one yet, actually. Yeah, um, it, was, it was really good. And the, the, the last takeaways, he, he said three things. One was be a sponge, which I totally agree. Be a sponge, not a sieve. That was the chef who trained me at Salford, said exactly the same thing. Be a sponge, look around, absorb things, take things in. Two, you can't please everyone all the time. And that was something that I think as managers or leaders, people always try and do. It's quite hard to do. Yeah. Um, it's training as well, right? Yeah. It's, it's the emotional attachment. Uh, and um, don't, don't take things personally, take things professionally. Yeah. And that was also really interesting. Being part of a family business, working with family businesses, it's a very different emotional attachment for people. Uh, mm. But also from team members into leaders, it's a different connection because it's not going up to a big, you know, a share price. It's going to people. And so you can see it. And I think embracing that and, and finding the right people to be part of that journey is, is also really important. But when you win, it feels even, even more important. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, and also, I suppose, the realisation that you can't always win. Uh, there's going to be moments that are that, that take you down as well as the ones that take you up. But if you've got uh, a, a cohesive unit to deal with these things, then it definitely makes coming back up a, a lot easier. Yeah. And, and I guess COVID was a great leveler for hospitality and, and tourism. And it was hard. I think there was a lot of personal pain for people. And there was also a lot of business pain for people, whether it's insecurity on jobs or or people running businesses. And I think I was stayed in touch with quite a lot of both hotel managers and various others. And, and, you know, some cocoon themselves, not in a Mourinho way, but just thought, oh, I don't know what to do. And, and others were not necessarily out on LinkedIn, but willing to meet for a coffee or chat or whatever. And, and I think it was hard from a mental health perspective, a physical health perspective. I think it was hard to keep people's morale up when you didn't know certainty yourself. Uh, and that then shows the strength of a core team where you're willing to, to fight through it. And, and I, you know, I'm very proud of all the guys who I work with who really, you know, we, we did a lot of good things for the NHS and various other stuff and engaged, even though they were finding it difficult themselves with everything going on. And, and we did our town hall with a team earlier on and, and I was still thanking people for, for what they did through that because we could see the figures and, how things dipped, but the dip could have been worse if people wouldn't have engaged. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- obviously a terrible time, but a lot of good stuff came out of that time as well. I, if nothing else, it gave people a little bit of a circuit breaker to really analyse them and what's important to them. And I don't mean that even just from a personal perspective, but but businesses as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we tweaked a lot. We still operated throughout because we had apartments. We were able to rent them out, key workers, various other things. We gave 50 apartments free to the NHS, which I did through Twitter. When there was doctors and nurses being kicked out of their flat shares, we were offering up to them. And we had buildings we still had to look after. And hotel managers and, and people in hotels, the public didn't realise that you still had to flush the chains in every toilet. Every day you had to run the showers because of fear of Legionellas or in older buildings for fear of it all falling down. Uh, from yeah. a perspective, you needed people in there. You couldn't just shut it up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and I think those that have tweaked their businesses, business models, maybe 
staff retention models and various other things around their business since COVID are ones that tend to be doing better now. Little did we know that there was going to be hyperinflation and wars and various other things to, to compound matters. Oh, yeah. Brexit. Um, but, you know, in reality, I think a lot of hotels are doing, the ones that are doing very well, a lot of it, I think, will go back to what they learned through COVID and how they treat their businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose you're a busy man. You've got a lot going on by the sounds of it, and not just within your kind of day-to-day uh, businesses, but you, you do extracurricular stuff as well. You're involved with the Savoy Educational Trust, as an example. Yeah. Where do you find the time? Uh, it, it's it's hard. I, for me, a, a lot of the stuff I do on the side, like Savoy Educational Trust, Beta, ASAP and Tourism Alliance, I can only do because the team are, are, that I work with are really good. They, they afford me the time to do it. And mm. also, I think all of the things I'm involved with also help the business. Savoy Educational Trust is that extra layer because from an early part of my career, I've always given young people opportunities. And, and when uh, Howard, who's the chair of it, uh, approached me to be on the trust, I was a bit shocked, but also very, very proud. And I, and I the Savoy Educational Trust does amazing things for an awful lot of people that I had no real idea because I didn't come through the traditional master inholders and various other things. That brand never really, I never saw it. Yeah. And then when I started hearing about it a bit more, and now I'm involved with it, it it's, it's phenomenal, like amazing stuff that's done. And, and so many people of all ages that, that really can get an impact from it. Um, but yeah, I compartmentalize things. I block stuff out. We tend to, with all the association stuff, we put board meetings a year in advance. You know, I sit on the board with Tourism Lights with Kate Nichols, who's probably even more busy than I am. You know, you make the time for it. And I can multitask pretty well as well. So I can, I've learned how to flip from like Savoy Educational Trust to a meeting with an American university fairly seamlessly. Right. It's taken me time and an outlook and the calendar is a godsend. I always say to people, if it's in the calendar, I'll be there. But I think because of technology now, it's a lot easier to do more things if you use the technology properly. Yeah, well, and you can still manage your time. That's the um, uh, yeah. the the thing that that doesn't. The, the, if you're getting time back because you're not having to travel to places, the risk is then that you just fill your time with stuff. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, look, look, really good to chat. Um, I feel like we might have to do a part two at some <laughs> point because I know we're both both got things that we need to go off to do. But final thing before I let you go. What would be your three main reasons as to why somebody should join hospitality as a career? I think, uh, and I've probably proved it, having worked in restaurants, hostels, hotels, apartments and student accommodation, is that it's it's not just working in a big brand on reception. There's this huge amounts of different career opportunities within hospitality. Uh, and we're just talking front of house. You, you, forget about back of house now even data science for revenue management is is pretty amazing two i think and it's probably been said on lots of your podcasts is the people and the fact that you can be in a really global environment in one building or one business is is amazing and i've learned so much about different cultures and countries you know that i've never visited our marketing manager here is from armenia we had a diwali breakfast this morning with with um some amazing samosas brought in by 
one of the guys uh, whose mum had sent them over to us. You know, it, it's that sort of thing, which I don't think you get in a lot of businesses or yeah. industries. Um, and three for me has been travel. And so in my role, I get to travel a lot now to the States. But when I was running hotels, I used to go to trade shows all over the place. And a bit like Bourdain used to say, is that, you know, travel enriches your life and, and, and your brain. And I think... Um, I think it allows you to do that. It's a really global career that it can take you where you want it to go. Um, yeah. So yeah, those are the three things. Amen to that. Um, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm glad we, we got there in the end to do this. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I wish you guys all the very best with everything that you've got going on. So many things going on. And uh, yeah, look forward to bumping into you at an event in the future, no doubt. Yeah, well, thank you very much for inviting me. You're very, very welcome. Have a good one. And there we have it. What a cracking journey Stephen has, and even though he has hailed from generations of hospitalitarians, he still had to go carve out his own path and passion. We'll be back as usual at 8pm next Wednesday for another story from hospitality. So until then, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.